My life mission is to alleviate suffering and populate heaven. That's why I get up every day. And uh, I want to I want to ask you a question this morning. I want to start out with a question. And uh, I want you to, I can, Tim, I've met him this morning. He's in a, I can tell he's my amen corner over here. So I'm a, uh, but, but here's the question I want, I want you to talk back, give me feedback. It's simply this, what is 750,000 miles long? That distance would wrap around the circumference of the earth 30 times and grows 20 miles longer every day. 750,000 miles long would wrap around the circumference of the earth 30 times and goes 20 miles longer every day. Does anybody have any idea what that is? If you were to line people up shoulder to shoulder, that is the line of humanity who are outside of God's family. There's a core value that I live by, and it's simply this, that lost people matter to God, so they better matter to the church. Let me try that on this side. Lost people matter to God, so they better matter to the church. That's what missions is all about. That's why we do what we do. And everything that Convoy does is tethered to the local church. The local church is the hope of the world, amen? And so when we are doing distributions, when we're ministering to the physical needs of people, it is always tethered to the local church where Christ is the center, amen? And so uh, when you talk about that, what it takes to do that is what? Resources. Tim, Tim's my guy. I, I'm just going to look here every time. It takes resources. And here's the idea behind that. To give you some context, there are about 2,300 verses in Scripture that have to deal with money and resources. To give you perspective, there are about 500 verses on prayer and about 500 verses on faith. There are 2,300 verses on money, possessions, and resources. How many of you say God has something to say about this? Amen? So let's get started. If you have a copy of God's word, we're in Matthew chapter six. It simply says this, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How many of you have ever read a passage of scripture when you got done, you're like, oh, shoot, man, I wish I hadn't read that. This might be one of those days when God makes us aware of something, we can't pretend like it's not there, right? And uh, the challenge is, is... Oh, good. All the slides are, are they matching up with what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. Uh, the wonderful thing is, is that the challenge for us as followers of Christ is God's definition of success and man's definition of success are diametrically opposed. So man's definition of success is about how much I get, how much I accumulate and how many people are under me in the flow chart at work. How many would say your boss, that's what he lives on? It's about how much we accumulate and how many people are under us in the flow chart. And God's definition of success is completely flipped upside down. It's about how much I give away and how many people I serve. So the challenge then becomes, how do I live right side up in an upside down world? 
How do I do what God is asking me to do as a follower of Jesus Christ, as someone who wants to walk in his footsteps? How do I live right side up in an upside down world? Would you agree with me that we are in an upside down world? So how are we going to do this? Well, there's a wonderful story, and uh, it's about sharing. And, and, and the idea is we're trying to move from being greedy to generous or from being stingy to sharing, right? How many of you ever had a toddler in your house? Yeah, so you're on the floor and you're playing with toys, and, and the toy that they have in their hand is theirs, and the toy that you have in your hand is also theirs, right? We have this, we are born with this, it's all mine, and no one can take it from me. But following Christ is about living a life of radical generosity and sharing the resources that we have. How many of you know everything we have is a gift from God? Everything. So let's go to the, the best story in Scripture on sharing in John chapter 6. I know we got a timer back there. So if I, if I promise to read fast, will you promise to listen fast? Good deal? Here we go. John 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, I love verse 6. If you're comfortable with highlighting or underlining in your Bible, Please do that in verse 6. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. You can leave here with tremendous peace in knowing that God knows exactly what he's doing. That should have been something where everyone rejoiced. Someone may have even done a cartwheel. God is in control, and he knows what he's doing. Amen. Verse 7, Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each to have one bite. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down about how many? Try that again, about, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. This is the first biblical account of the very first golden corral. Some of you need one more coffee. You're still waking up. He did the same with the fish. When they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciple, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. How many of you would agree that this story is crazy? Some of you are acting like, no, this happens every Tuesday at my work. This is a crazy story. And the challenge is, um, I've discovered that when God is in the equation, all bets are off, right? Do we have any teachers in the house? Any, oh, we got a couple. Are any of you specifically math teachers? And no one would admit it if they were. My, my daughter's a math major. Yeah, so, but we have a couple school teachers in the house. 
I'm going to ask you a question. This is not a trick question, but I'd like for you to answer this for me. Seven. That's what it is in Missouri. <laughs> Terrific. But when God is in the equation, all bets are off. According to this story, what does this, what does this equation equal? Five plus two equals... Five, who said 5,000? Tim said 5,000. Apparently he doesn't give a rip about women or children. Okay, because it says 5,000 what? Men. We're only following scripture. I'm not taking anything out of context here. 5,000 men. Now we're just going to guess it here. We're just going to kind of throw this one out there. But I'm guessing, uh, and, and if, you, if you look at Jewish culture in this season of the world, there were at least... A conservative would be four children, okay? So we're guessing that five plus two equals 20,000, right? Except we want to be biblically accurate. So, so what, what do we hear at the end of the story? Five plus two equals 20,000, remainder 12, not, I know Minnesotans are brilliant people. These are not trick questions, but I just, I'm going to throw this out there. Between this and this, which number is bigger? <laughs> How many of you like your bank account to show 20,000 remainder 12 versus 7? <laughs> well, now... Now the glory's going to fall. People, people just got blessed. But here's the cool thing. This only happens, a miracle happens with somebody. It, it has to start with someone. If this boy doesn't share his lunch, none of this stuff happens. And honestly, if this 14 or 15-year-old boy, which is what historians think he was, shared his lunch, that's more miraculous than the 20,000 people who were fed, right? You ever been to McDonald's with your kid and try to take a fry from him? Getting a fork in the back of the hand? Right. So I want to talk about when we live lives of radical generosity, that's when the miraculous happens, okay? How many would like to see a miracle happen in this church? Amen. Here we go. Going to run through a few quick points. Number one, a miracle always starts with somebody. It always starts with somebody. And guess what? You're a somebody. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a somebody. And turn to the other side and say, how about you taking me to lunch? Right? It always starts with somebody. Number two, miracles happen in the atmosphere of obedience. If you want to see a miracle happen, it's always directly connected to obedience. You're going to want to write this equation down. Uh, I write in tongues, so unless you have the interpretation, you won't be able to read it. So write this down. God's prompting plus obedience always equals the miraculous. God's prompting plus obedience always equals the miraculous. Number three, when we do what we can, God does what we can't. 
we have this tendency to think, well, you know, whatever I'm going to do, it's not going to be that much. I'm sure the, the young boy with the five loaves and two fish thought, oh, this probably isn't, this probably isn't going to solve the problem here. And Jesus said, no, my prompting plus obedience always equals the miraculous. When we do what we can, God does what we can't. Point number four. It's all about listening to the prompting and acting in obedience. How many of you have um, technically obeyed, but you didn't have the right attitude? Anybody in the room? If you've never witnessed this, here's a perfect example that everyone should be able to relate to. If you've ever asked your teenage kid to take the trash out, right? It got to the end of the street, but it was drug, and there's a big streak of liquid on your driveway because it wasn't necessarily done with the right heart or attitude, but it got there. The truth is there are times when we've done this when God has prompted us to do something, maybe not necessarily the right heart or the right attitude, but the fact is God's prompting plus obedience always equals the miraculous. So uh, I was pastoring in Cincinnati and uh, I got this phone call of a guy uh, to my receptionist who didn't go to our church, had never been to our church. Um, and he said, um, my son's in, uh, in the hospital and ICU on life support. They want me to to turn off the life support, and I was wondering uh, if your pastor could come over and pray last rites. Well, the guy doesn't go to my church. I'm not Catholic. I don't know how to do last rites. And I start to give God all these reasons why I don't need to do this because I'm very busy. And this is the point of the service where you go, thank God Pastor James is our pastor and not Brad. <laughs> and, and so... I'm trying to explain why I don't need to do this and why my schedule's so busy that I can't do it. And I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me and say, go to the hospital and pray for this kid. So I get in my car with the wrong heart and the wrong attitude and drive to the hospital. I go into the ICU and the father's there and he said, hey, they're gonna make me turn this machine off. And um, they're, all of the brain waves are completely flat on the life support machine, no brain activity whatsoever. And so I start praying for comfort for the father. God, this is the toughest day this man has ever had in his life, and I just pray that you would comfort him. And while I'm praying for this dad, the Holy Spirit says, put your hand on the kid's head. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit talk to you while you're praying about something different and you realize you're way off track? I'm the only one this happens to. So, so while I'm praying for comfort for this father, I put my hand on this kid's head on life support, no brain waves, And his head is so hot. His forehead is so hot that it burns my hand to the touch. I mean, it's like, whoa. And while I'm praying, I'm continuing to pray for comfort for this dad. This is the worst day of his life. God, he needs you to hold you, hold him in your big arms today. And while I'm praying for the dad, this kid sits straight up in bed, scared me to death. I almost had a heart attack and died in the hospital. And the father goes, what'd you do? I said, I don't know. And the nurse comes running in from ICU and she goes, what did you do? And I said, I don't know. And I looked down to see if I was standing on his oxygen tube. And I, thank God I wasn't. That wasn't it. The point is, 
God's prompting plus obedience always equals the miraculous. And I think God, God wanted it to happen that way so that I knew 100% that I had nothing to do with it whatsoever, including a bad attitude and a wrong heart, but God did the miraculous. When we listen for God's prompting and act in obedience, that's when the miracle happens. How many of you are thankful for that? So that's what happened with this young man. He gave what he had in his hand and celebrated the miracle the rest of his life. I mean, can you imagine, do you ever put yourself in Bible stories? Can you imagine 60, 65 years later, this guy's sitting there and his grandkids come running up and they're like, Grandpa, Grandpa, tell us the lunch story again. You gave your lunch to Jesus and he fed 20,000 people? How many of you agree this is a pretty amazing story? This is, this, is, this is something that you're like, wow. He gave what he had in his hand and he celebrated that miracle the rest of his life. My wife and I were youth pastors in Baltimore, Maryland. And it was the cost of living on the East Coast was so expensive. We had to live 26 miles from our church. And so we'd commute and we worked together. So uh, we used the drive time with the traffic on I-95. It could be an hour to an hour and a half to get to work. So we, she would bring the Bible and she'd read a chapter of scripture and we'd pray in the car and talk about what the Lord was speaking to us. This is years ago. So how many of you remember Hosanna Integrity tapes? We'd pop in some Don Moen, throw that in my 85 Honda Accord and listen to some worship and and, and while this is going on, by the way, when you're praying on the road, keep your eyes open. The Lord wants you to keep your eyes open. And, and so I just told Angie, I said, you know, I feel like the Lord wants us to give $50 to Dave, another guy on our staff, and tell him maybe he can take his boys out for pizza tonight. And Angie goes, oh, yeah, my spirit totally bears witness with that. But she goes, you know, I think you should tell him to take him to Chuck E. Cheese. And I was like, Angie. As the spiritual head of this family, when God talks to us about doing something, he never addresses the subject of Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, like I'm trying to be theologically correct. And by the way, if you want something worse than COVID, go to Chuck E. Cheese. You'll find it there in the skee-ball section. So, so anyways, so, so I'm like, yeah, whatever. And she's like, yeah, we had to listen to another Don Moen tape because we got a little, little heated over an argument. And so... So we get to work, right? And she, uh, she calls me at lunchtime. She goes, have you given Dave the money yet? And I was like, no, I haven't done it. She's like, you better do what God's told you to do. And I was like, you better get back to work. You know, we're trying to change the subject. And the only reason was there were seven pastors on staff. So I didn't want every guy stepping out of their office. Hey, man, where's, where's my $50 bill? You know? So it's five o'clock, right? So... She calls me, she says, have you given Dave the money yet? And I slide my chair back from my desk so I wouldn't be lying. And I said, yeah, I'm on my way. I walk down the hallway and knock on Dave's door. And he's like, yeah, come in. I'm like, hey Dave, I don't want this to be awkward or weird, but um, Angie and I were praying this morning in our devotion time. And you know, I felt like the Lord wanted us to, to give you something. And being the mighty man of faith that I am, I said, um, here's $50 
and Angie thinks you should take your boys to Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, I just threw her completely under the bus. Like, I wasn't going to attach my name to that, you know. And he comes around his desk and he sits down. He leans back on his sits down. He puts his head down. His glasses slide forward. He starts crying like tears are coming underneath his glass. I'm like, Dave, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to offend you. I was just, I, I was trying to hear from the Lord. He goes, you don't understand. I said, what's going on? He said, um, he said this morning, um, he said, today's Joey's birthday, my nine-year-old. And as I was leaving work, he ran down into the kitchen. And the very last thing he said to me was, dad, is there any possible way we can go to Chuck E. Cheese for my birthday? And when God's concerned enough for a nine-year-old little boy to make sure he gets his Chuck E. Cheese wish, to prompt a couple who didn't even have children or kids weren't even on their radar to make sure that he is taken care of. God doesn't just own the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the thousand hills as well. It's all his. Everything we have is a gift from God. And we, we, we live our lives with our hands open and our hearts open. God does the miraculous. In, in uh, 1986, I went on my very first mission trip to Caracas, Venezuela. How many of you remember 1986? That was a while ago, right? Yeah, I know. White hair and a bald spot. And, uh, and when I went to Caracas, Venezuela, it was thriving. The economy was booming. The boulevard was strong. There was vegetation. They were growing crops. And it was an unbelievable sight. Now, now I want you to fast forward the clock to 2018. The country is completely decimated. 25% of the population has left the country, completely left the country. Most of them men. Women and children were left behind. They have no food. They have no money. The boulevard is worth nothing. They have no oil, nothing. No jobs. And as these women are fleeing the country, they usually have a baby strapped to their chest and they're holding the hand of a toddler beside them and they're walking to Colombia. There's hope in Colombia. And as they get to this concrete bridge in Colombia where the border is, there's this red umbrella. Can you guys go to that slide real quick? There's a red umbrella. It's an awning, if you will, at the end of this concrete bridge that, that is the border crossing from Venezuela to Colombia. And unless you're Spanish or speak Spanish, you may not understand what this cardboard sign says. But ladies, how many of you would consider your hair to be pretty important? I have a wife and a daughter. I, I know the appointments they make. It's a big deal. And, and, and these women are crossing the border with a baby strapped to their chest, holding the hand of a toddler with this long, thick black hair. They have no food. They have no money. And when they get to the end of this concrete bridge, they go straight to this red umbrella. One of our guys on the ground took this picture. If you don't speak Spanish, what that cardboard sign says is, we buy hair. And these women who have nothing left will sit underneath that red umbrella and have their heads shaved to have enough money to buy one more meal for their kid. When Convoy of Hope heard about this, he said, not on our watch. We got our team on the ground there. 
Since 2018, we have personally ministered to over 2 million Venezuelan refugees and have provided for them over 30 million meals. God's prompting plus obedience always equals the miraculous. When you do what you can, God does what you can't. We feed 435,000 children a day around the world and 2,100 feeding programs. The only way we'll ever get to their hearts is through their bellies. If a kid's starving, they can't hear that Jesus loves them. It's always tethered to the local church where Christ is center and paramount. Today, we've asked people to do one day to feed the world. What one day to feed the world is simply this. Take your annual salary and divide it by 365 and give that gift to feed the poor, to take care of the poor and the suffering. When I was pastoring, people would say, Pastor, I was praying. The Lord told me to give two days. One guy said, when I was, when I was pastoring, he said to me, Pastor, the Lord told me to give a week of my salary. One guy before I left said, Pastor, I was praying. The Lord told me to give a month of my annual salary to take care of the poor and the needy. All I'm saying is God's prompting plus obedience equals the miraculous. Whatever it is God is asking you to do, most people give out of two ways, either logic or emotion. Logic is, well, I think I can do this in my budget. Emotion is, I'm overwhelmed by the thought that these women have to shave their heads to feed their children. I'm saying this morning, don't give out of logic and don't give out of emotion. But would you take a moment to say, God, what are you asking me to do? I want to be obedient to that because God's prompting plus obedience always equals the miraculous. What is it that God is asking you to do? I close with this story. There's a guy in my church. His wife died in a drug overdose. He was raising three little boys by himself under the age of six. His wife died of a heroin overdose. He had lost his job because he was trying to help her get clean. So he's a single dad, just lost his wife, raising three little boys under the age of six. When we were doing our one day to feed the world offering, he said, Pastor, I don't have a job and I've got these little boys to take care of, but I know that the poor and suffering are way worse off than we are. Would you let me borrow a hose and some buckets out in front of the church on Saturday before our one day to feed the world offering on Sunday? And just let me take donations for washing cars and give that to one day to feed the world. I said, absolutely. We got them buckets and hoses and sponges and Don dishwashing detergent. And that Sunday, the next day, the guy had no job, no money, raising three little boys by himself, came running down the left aisle. I've never seen someone so excited about giving. He came running. He had in his hand $500 cash. He said, Pastor, I stood out there all day yesterday washing cars and was able to collect $500, and I can't wait to give this to feed the poor and the suffering. When we do what we can, God does what we can't. Don't give out of logic. Don't give out of emotion. But would you just say, Lord, what are you asking me to do? I want to hear your voice because we know what God asks us to do. God's prompting plus obedience always equals the miraculous. Would you bow your heads? Lord, right now, we are just asking you to speak to us. We know that there are those who are suffering terribly around the world and you have blessed us to be a blessing. We want to be part of the solution. 
So Lord, right now, we pray. We pray that you would give us the honor and privilege of hearing from the creator of the universe. That you would drop a number in our mind. That you would prompt us. That you would nudge us. That you would let us be part of the solution as we partner with you. When we do what we can, God, you do what we can't. And so Lord, would you use us today? Would you take a moment now and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to prompt you right now, the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do it.